All right, everybody. So today we have John Meadows back on for the second time. How are you doing, John? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I start all of these with a charity donation. And I know you had mentioned first time um, having to be animal related. And as we talked about a little bit ago, today's will be going towards the Cotton Branch Farm Sanctuary. This was mentioned in another podcast I had done. Um, but I wanted to just give it a little bit more attention, especially with some of these shelters and everything with the current, you know, craziness and, and the climate. I think in general, a lot of charities are going to be getting fewer donations and understandably because everybody is struggling right now. Um, so I just wanted to kind of bring some more attention to that. And hopefully if anybody has any extra money, they, they can donate as well. Awesome. Sounds good. So, uh, John, how are you doing with this? I mean, for me, I'm actually uh, not working right now because I can't see patients. And so uh, basically our offices are closed unless we have emergencies, somebody's in extreme pain or something like that. But otherwise, just due to the, the risk of spreading the infection, um, I'm not seeing patients. So I'm actually home hanging out. <laughs> but uh, I know you do a lot of stuff online. So maybe you haven't been terribly affected yet. I'm not. Well, you know, I, I'm not terribly affected in terms of um, not going somewhere to work or something like that, but my clients have been, mm. and, you know, part of my business is I still work with a lot of clients. So a lot of my clients have been affected. So it's kind of indirectly, indirectly affected me, I'd say. Sure. Has that mostly affected you in terms of having to come up with new ways for them to work out? Or you've had a lot of people actually drop off just because finances are tough. Um, nobody's dropped off. And what I've done is I, I, I don't feel good about accepting money when circumstances aren't right. So I've just told people, we'll just cobble up a plan and we'll do the best we can now. But in terms of the time frame that you paid for, we just won't start it um, officially back up until all this is passed and you can get back into the gym and things like that. So that's, great. Um, that's, that's how I handle it. That way I can see what they're doing and still stay in mm -hmm. contact with them and hopefully keep them on track as best we can so that then when things are turned around, uh, we can get back to work. Yeah, well, I mean, that's very nice of you. That's a great thing to do. Um, I've had a, a few clients of my own ask me for like home workouts. And as I'm sure you know, there's there's a million and one different home workouts out there now. I think I think everybody I know who, who is on YouTube has put something out there regarding that. Um, I've seen some debate where some people are, are saying that they think even with like basic, like not even like with equipment, but just like body weight and, you know, your imagination that you can even make progress right now, like even gain muscle. I think I'm maybe a little bit less optimistic where for me, my, my goal would be to maintain if I was just doing home stuff. Um, like for instance, I was cutting before and at this point I've kind of put that on hold for the time being until I really have access to like the weights that I want. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, it depends on the level they're at and how they were training before. So sure. if you have someone that's more of a beginner, then yeah, you could probably put something together that would increase their strength and things like that. But, um, if you had someone that was pounding out sets of leg presses and squats and hack squats. And I doubt that a hundred air squats are going to create any growth. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I tend to look at things just from the base. I just try to drop it down to as basic as possible as I can. And if you think about what makes a muscle grow, it's activating the muscle fibers, which takes a certain load, the heavier the load, the more activation you get. If you don't have that load, you got to really train to failure so that all the muscle fibers are called into play to help produce force. And then you have to exhaust the fibers for, you know, so you have to, you have to work them with some volume 
So that's what you try to replicate. And, you know, doing some jumping jacks and mountain climbers are good for your overall fitness and they're good things to do, but it would be misleading to tell somebody that that kind of training training is going to create a lot of progress in terms of muscular size, if that's what their goal was. If their goal was to just to continue to get in shape, um, things like that, then I think that um, now you're talking, okay, now we can do that. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, and that's a nice thing about, I put some videos up about how to use bands. That's a nice thing about bands is you can kind of replicate that tension that the muscle feels mm-hmm. because that loading is where, that's what it's all about. That mechanical loading, like making the muscle fiber produce force when it's tired, when it's just got to fight to move the weight. And you can simulate that to a degree with, with um, bands. So, you know, is it as good as going into a gym and having everything at your disposal? No, but can it work and at least help you maintain? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as a lot of people know, it's a lot easier to maintain than it is to progress. And, and so I wouldn't be too worried. I, mean, I don't know how long the gyms are going to be closed. My guess is in most areas, at least a month or so, but I, I wouldn't be too worried about maintaining. I think you can progress in terms of, I mean, it depends on what your goals are, right? Like you said, I mean, if your goal is, hey, I can do 50 push-ups now. I want to get to 60. Well, then obviously you can progress there. But in terms of actual hypertrophy, unless you're a beginner, I'd, I'd be hesitant to really let somebody believe that, yeah, we're going to make so much progress now. And that's at least what I've been telling my clients as well. Is like, you know, we'll do what I can. Um, like you, you know, if somebody has no access to a gym, then I'm, I'm happy to put it on pause for now just because I don't feel like I'm optimally coaching them for like the best results if yeah. they, they just don't have access, you know, it's not really fair in that situation. Yep. Yep. So, um, I had just recently watched your video within the last week on, um, old school versus new school bodybuilding. And I really oh. liked it. Uh, great <laughs> video. And it's, it's great because you've been around for so long and it's funny cause so I'm only 28, but I've been doing this like pretty in depth since I was 12, you know, like from like the first minute I got into it, I mean, I was reading books, I was, like listening to interviews. I mean, I, I went full in. And so I've definitely seen a big change, even myself, you know, I wasn't around in like the eighties or nineties for it, but I, I've still seen a big change where, I mean, basically all the things you talked about. So I kind of wanted to delve a little bit in, cause you kind of gave a brief summary on them, but I wanted to get a little bit deeper into some of those. Um, so nutritionally, that's probably been the biggest change for me in terms of how it's affected my life. Because like you, I spent many years doing six to seven meals a day. I would literally, between classes, I would have this gross <laughs> shake of like everything just blended spinach, cottage cheese, like not even necessarily protein powder to make it taste better. Just, you know, but like you were saying back then, it didn't matter how it tasted, right? Yep. So I would have that. And I was, you know, in sophomore in high school at this point, and I'd go into the bathroom and I chug it as fast as I could. And yep. then I go to my next class because I had to get those, you know, those uh, six meals a day. Yeah. And I would absolutely, I mean, my parents were tired of it because if we were driving and it was like two hours and 40 minutes since my last meal, I was like, okay, we need to stop somewhere, give me some protein or something. If I didn't have Tupperware with me, it, it was just mentally kind of ridiculous, but I took pride in it at the time because I was like, I'm so dedicated. So for me, it's been a huge relief to find that like, you know, four meals a day can be okay. You know, that it, it's fine. If you go a little bit longer, um, you know, I think a lot of the research has shown that and I know there's some debates on can you build muscle optimally with intermittent fasting and things like that. But I think the biggest thing that's come from it is that for most people, it's okay if you go five or six hours without a meal. It's okay if you go out at night. I mean, I would literally go to 
parties in college and bring a protein shake. It was, <laughs> you know, um, you're a party I, animal. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, that it's been a huge change for me and, and stress relieving for sure. Um, but I don't know if there's anything else like you wanted to add on to that and, and how it's changed your life or for your clients, anything. Well, like I said in the video, I did six meals a day for 20 some years straight. And I remember the last pro show I did in 2017. I remember when I got back home, I said, that's it. I'm going to eat when I want to eat. And I'm going to eat what I want to eat. And it was I, the best way I can describe it is I felt like a prisoner that just got out of prison. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm not saying six meals is a bad thing. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. And people who eat six meals are stupid. I'm not saying that. Yeah. All I'm saying is that it was um, a relief for me to be able to kind of step back and not watch my clock and every, you know, 180 minutes, get my meal in, like to be able to relax a little more. Mm -hmm. And what's happened over the last three years, and if you talk to any of my closer friends, they'll tell you this, is that my protein intake dropped way down, like yeah. 80, 100 grams a day. And this is what I've been doing the last three years. Uh, again, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that I was, I'm going to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it, whatever mm -hmm. that might be. I'll get some protein in and then whatever or wherever else the chips may fall, they'll fall. So, um, um, so I've been doing this over the last, you know, it'll be three years in May and I haven't really lost much muscle, if any. Yeah. And, um, it's amazing to me how much muscle you can keep by just training hard because what i will say this is i've continued to train hard and i still mm -hmm. train very hard i can't quite handle the volume i used to handle but i can still train really hard yeah so it, it, it's just made me really think about what we really need to maintain and you know i would never tell somebody if you're looking to build muscle eat 80 grams of protein a day and just eat when you feel like it i would never tell somebody to do that that's that's not going to work but once you've built it Right. After years and years and years and years of pounding, then maintaining it, to me, it's a whole other ballgame. As long as you get your hard training in, by and large, you'll do pretty well. And it's been pretty fascinating to see that. And I've talked to other people, many other people, you know, because I'm an experiment guy. I love to experiment. So I'm talking to these other guys. And I'm like, hey, what are you noticing? What are you noticing? And, like, we're all kind of seeing the same thing. Yeah, that maintaining muscle is so much easier than building it in terms of nutritionally, as long as you're providing that training stimulus. Right. Yeah. It's kind of amazing as I've had a lot of friends come and go in as far as like continuing to lift or not and how much they have been able to maintain. Now, not if they completely stop training, but I mean, just in terms of getting more slack with things, you know, I mean, my brother, he got really into it for about five years. And then with work and everything, I guess he just lost some motivation and he spent like maybe five months just kind of eating whatever. And honestly, even training less hard and he hasn't maintained all of his muscle. But, you know, if you didn't have an eye for it, you probably wouldn't notice that much of a difference. You know, maybe mm -hmm. body fat went up a little bit and, and, you know, but not huge differences. I have another friend who's on his way to be a neurosurgeon and his schedule is legitimately he's like one of the few where I'd say like, you know, most people when they talk about their schedules, it's kind of BS. But like when you have 100 hour you know, uh, weeks in the clinic and everything like that. It, it's just, it gets kind of wild. And so, um, seeing him, he has decomped a little bit, uh, where he's, you know, gained some fat, lost some muscle, but he, he still looks 
similar after years and years and years of training. So um, it is kind of amazing. And a great thing for us is that it is so different to maintain compared to really progressing to like peak levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty fascinating for me to see. And, um, and I was heading into the Arnold classic and I had been training, I had turned it up a notch even and was going really hard. And I was starting to see that old look come back to my body and I hadn't changed my diet. I just was like, you know, I'm going to train even harder. I'm going to really start pushing. And I could literally see like my legs were coming back. They were 90% of the way back and everything was like, it's amazing what good training can do. It really is. When you say pushing harder, how do you mean um, just like literally intensity, like how hard you're like going in a set or more volume? Just the sets themselves. So, you know, for example, doing a leg workout, we, you know, we would do something, you know, our normal really hard leg curls and squats, not with a bar. I can't squat the barbell on my back, but like with a transformer bar or something like that. But then, you know, we got a pendulum squat. So I'm going, I'm doing, I'm doing a, a real big uh, set there, a cluster set. And then, you know, maybe on a leg press, we might finish up with a drop set. So starting to put those high intensity techniques back in, you know, the partials, the drop sets, the, all those things that people say aren't proven by science, yeah. man, they they start, when I put that stuff in, my body starts changing, like, bam, I can see it so quick. So I have a follow-up question, but, but first I'll just ask, can we assume supplements were similar in that time? HRT, HRT for three years straight. Yep. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. Um, so in that case, it's it's just interesting because that obviously just flies in the face of what so many people preach now, which I know well, is sure. thing you don't agree with that much. And it's, I I would love to get down to like the real reason that is, you know, because people will say, well, you know, N equals one. We can't really take that much from that one person saying it. Maybe they did this, this or that. And, and I understand, but I also feel like so many of the studies are you know, I mean, you can't run a perfect study, obviously. So it's not like necessarily the researcher's fault, but you know, who can you typically recruit? It's often college kids who were maybe like intermediates at best. Not always. Sometimes you have some advanced trainees, but most studies aren't. And so, you know, you got people like you or Scott Stevenson, and you talk about these like beyond failure techniques. And that's how it was for years and years and years. I feel like there's got to be something to it. There is. <laughs> but, there, let me, so so this is this is this is what I think in the world of John, right? So I think we have done a really good job science-wise determining how to activate muscle fibers. So you see all this stuff where you know if you're say 90% of your one rep max, you're going to have maximal activation. To produce that much force, you have to call in all the low threshold motor units, the high threshold motor units. You got to call in everything. Mm -hmm. If you're using less weight. If you're, say, 70 or 65% of your one rep max, now in order to call all those fibers in, now you got to get closer to failure. Your proximity has to be close to failure or failure. So I think we've done a really nice job. This is where Brad Schoenfeld has done a really nice job in particular of trying to figure out how you get maximal activation. Now, we also know that you have to load the fibers. And if you're, if you're taking those sets to failure or if they're heavier, then you're loading the muscle fibers. But... There's a third part of this, and this is where I think people are missing the boat. You activate, you load, and then you exhaust the muscle fibers. Take, for example, a powerlifter. I trained a West Side Barbell with the best powerlifters in the world from the, with the best coach in the world, uh, Louis Simmons. Some of the guys look like bodybuilders, like Chuck Vogelpool. He was an animal. And then some of the guys were doing insane amounts of weight, could absolutely bury me, 
and they didn't even look like they lifted weights. These dudes are like 180 pounds. Really? So, you know, you can say genetics all you want, but it, but I studied the way they trained. And Chuck would do a lot of bodybuilding-like training in addition to his to his power stuff where he was really doing sets to failure and fatiguing muscles. The other guys were just doing their, their speed work, their dynamic work, their maximal strength work, their heavy singles on their, you know, they were – so their their bodies look different. They were training different. The guys who did the more exhausting work were bigger, hypertrophy wise. They weren't necessarily stronger. Now you could make a good case that potentially they could get stronger because they had a bigger muscle fiber that could produce more force. Right. But my point is the way you train has a big impact on how you look, and it goes beyond just activation and loading. If it was just activation loading, then all these kids deadlifting. 800 pounds would be monsters, right? but they're not, you know, some of that has to do with the way they're built and their structure, but the heavy weight is not the end all be all. You have to have that. And that's where I think sparingly intelligently using those high intensity techniques provides that exhaustion that really challenges your body to adapt. The other thing I think is that we are completely immersed in, you have to get stronger or you have to gain reps. That is not true. If you are getting stronger and you're gaining reps, that's fantastic. Go for it. It's only going to help you. But there is a point where you're not going to be able to get stronger and you're not going to be able to add reps. Mm -hmm. You can't do that forever. So then how are you going to get better? You have to exhaust the muscle fibers. You have to really train them hard, different angles. And this is where the guys, like there's a lot of coaches that don't believe in that, but that's because they have their guys on two or three grams of steroids. Right. Like, if you take that out of the equation, their guys, they would, you know, Louie was always, I always really appreciated Louie because Louie always said, if you ask Louie, Louie, what's your method? He'd say, well, I don't really have a method. It's always evolving because if you do the same thing, your body adapts to it. Mm-hmm. And this is why when I hear these guys say, you just got to do these, these four exercises, these five exercises, look, those are great. I love them. But there's a whole nother world beyond that. If you're just, your body will adapt to doing those. And if that's the only card you can play in the game, you're over. It's over. And I think that's why I've been able to have a lot of success at an, old, at an older age because I didn't buy into that. I didn't say, well, if I'm not squatting with a barbell on my back, my legs won't grow anymore. When I was unable to squat with a barbell on my back, my legs grew another inch or so after that, after I never could squat heavy again. It was because I was exhausting them with other techniques. So – um, what I'm saying is, is, you know, I got this model, you, you, you activate, you load, but then you have to exhaust the fibers. And a lot of people have this irrational fear of overtraining. Well, oh, that's too much, John. Like, come on, man. One cluster set is too much for your chest and one drop set. Like, really? That's too yeah. much for you? Like, so you did you ever think do... that maybe you're just not very tough and you just can't <laughs> handle it? Um, now, if you did a cluster set on every set and every set was a drop set, that's too much. Right. That's too much. Whether you're natural or not natural, that's too much. So there has to be this balance. And for me, it's usually one or two of these, a workout. It could be, and it's usually one, your third exercise and your fourth exercise. Tack on a high intensity set. And as Scott and all these guys over the years have noticed, it makes a difference. It makes a really big difference. So I know for me, I was, I, I don't, squat much at all actually anymore um one because i I have had back issues um and two if i throw up my back that's kind of my whole career being a dentist and everything but um yeah same thing like giving up deadlifts was like you know the heavy deadlifts was hard for me as well um just mentally because it was like my favorite thing to do but 
my point was just going to be that I used to squat all the time. It was something that I took pride in because a lot of my friends, they didn't train legs. And I was the guy who like, no, like, of course you train legs, you train legs the hardest, et cetera, et cetera. And I used at one point I was squatting several times a week. Now I can't squat remotely close to what I used to, but in terms of like, you know, circumference measurements of my thighs, they're actually the same as they've always been, which, you know, granted are not huge at all. Um, I think maybe they got up to like 27 inches, but there's somebody who's not, you know, really pushing size or anything. I think it was decent. Um, yeah. but the point is it was just machine work. And, um, even honestly, <laughs> like I hate to admit like some sissy machines, you know, I've done the adductor and, um, abduction and just, uh, extensions, all that stuff and some leg pressing and everything as well. But the point is at some point I seem to be okay and maintain pretty much a hundred percent of my size without doing squats and deadlifts very and, often. And you know why? It's because you're activating, you're loading, and then you're exhausting. At the fundamental, the, at the very basic level, you're still doing the same thing. Right. You're creating a lot of tension and you're exhausting the fibers. You're doing the same thing, you're just doing it differently. So let me ask you just to play devil's advocate here. I kind of grew up a lot with Dante Trudeau's stuff and you know, like the heavy slag iron and you gotta be progressing. And if you're not, you're not gonna be growing. So you're basically saying the very valid point that you can't add weight and reps forever, obviously. So you have to do something else. Now, if in theory, like, let's just take a bench press just so that everybody knows it. And you got up to 300 pounds for 10 reps. Now, at some point after many years, like that's just where you've kind of capped out. So now you start doing drop sets and whatever, ignoring for the time being that maybe that's not the best exercise for yeah, that. Yeah, I got you though. Um, if that led to more muscle growth, then based on the, you know, like the size principles, wouldn't you then in theory be able to add reps and weight now that you have that increased muscle size from those intensity techniques, if it was truly working? In theory it would, but it doesn't always play out that way in real life. Um, in theory it would though, you have a larger muscle fiber, generally the, the cross-section size, if it gets bigger, there's potential to produce more force. Um, so in theory, yes, but still your connective tissue can only handle so much. There's still a limit though, or all of us sure. would be benching a thousand pounds. Right. Now what people forget about Dante's work though, is Dante acknowledged this. He mm -hmm. didn't say, I don't care. Stay on the bench press. He right. rotated exercises out. He changed rep schemes. The, the bottom line was Dante was advocating exhausting the fibers. Dante never said, I want you to work up to a set where you leave four reps in a tank and then move on. Right? Right. He didn't say that. He said, <laughs> right. you want to do a Widowmaker. Mm -hmm. So what is a Widowmaker? It's something that promotes, promotes high levels of activation and exhaustion. It's the same thing I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at the way I structure my programs, the second exercise is usually a compound exercise. And I'm trying to get people stronger on it. I'm, mm -hmm. I set a rep number. And I say, use as much weight as you can use and get that amount of reps with good form. And then the next week I might say, okay, now that eight, eight reps you got, now let's see if you can get nine with it. Or I might change and go, okay, now this week we're going to do seven reps. So go as heavy as you can. So I'm still taking people to where I think they need to go. Um, and this is where like, you know, not so much lately, but years ago people, you say, man, your training is very different than Dante's. And I'd say, actually, no, it's not mm -hmm. like, it's actually more similar. Um, because we're using the same principles. We're trying right. to use compound movements to get stronger. Um, and, and, it, and then once we get past that, we're trying to really exhaust muscle fibers. And there was also, there's also a component of stretching 
and Dante's programs that I put in mine too. Yeah. Like I'm a, I came from the John Perillo school back in the nine or the eighties and Dante knows John, John was the kind of the original stretch guy. Mm-hmm. His were a little different. John was a little bit more aggressive than I am with my stretches, but I, I like to load muscles with blood and like, for instance, with those high intensity techniques and then finish with an exercise that puts a crazy stretch on the muscle belly. Yeah. So there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Which is horribly painful <laughs> or it can be it's very painful. Yes. 